0: Welcome back to the Locked on Marlins podcast. Hope you enjoyed the last episode. It was a prospect preview on Connor Scott and Jose Devers. Went in depth on both of them, and I will be doing more prospect previews today. This time it's number 11 and 10 on the list, Nick Neidert and Cameron Meisner. If you enjoy these prospect previews, let me know, and I'll continue to do them even after I go through the top 20 prospects. This is something I love to do. I'm always going to be doing a lot of coverage on these Marlins prospects, so please be sure to rate and subscribe, and give me feedback on Twitter on what you want to hear. If there's certain things you want me to cover on the podcast that I haven't, I'm happy to do it. I'm always looking for some feedback, because ultimately, it's all about the listener, so thank you so much as always, and I'm excited to get into these two prospects. Niter of course, came over in that D. Gordon trade, and He's been great since the Marlins acquired him. He was consistent, one of the best pitchers in the Marlins system before the Marlins ended up stacking up with Sixto Sanchez and then Edward Cabrera making strides. But in terms of performance, Nydert has been among the best. Uh, last year was a difficult one for Nidert because of the fact that he was banged up. He missed a good portion of the season, but it wasn't an arm injury. So that that's a positive there where the fact that it was a knee injury makes you think, okay, it's not something that's going to linger or something you really have to worry about. Um, I mean, you, you have to make sure that he's ready and builds that knee strength back up. It was some tendonitis in his right knee. And he said uh, coming at the end of the season there that it was the reason why he kind of struggled in A. It was the first time in his professional career, for the most part, that command was an issue, which on the surface seems concerning, but... Then he goes in the Arizona Fall League and absolutely dominates in 21 and two-thirds innings and only walks a pair. So you figure he was just very weak coming back from that injury. I don't want to say they rushed him back because at some point he had to build up that strength again. But in his interview with Baseball America, he just said, It felt weak. My knee felt tired. And and think, that's his right knee. So that's what he's pushing off the rubber with. That's where a pitcher generates all of his strength and power, engaging that core and his legs that connects the body to his arm. And just that's how you push off the rubber. That's how you have that consistency. And so when you're feeling a little funky on that knee, you're not going to be very consistent. I mean, at one point when you lift your left leg, you have all your weight on your right knee. So if you're having some tendonitis issues, It makes sense that Nydert struggled, and the fact that he walked 22 batters in 41 innings is very uncharacteristic for Nick Nidert, because then he goes to the Fall League and only walks a pair in 21 and two-thirds innings, and in his entire professional career, he has never had any issues with command. To put it in perspective, the 22 walks in 41 innings, he only walked... 31 and 153 innings in double A Jacksonville. So that shows you how good his command can be. And the fact that he was able to get stronger and go right to the Arizona Fall League after faltering a little bit in Triple A and was the same old Nick Neidert. I think that you can expect Knigert to continue to be the pitcher that he was that won the 2017 California League Pitcher of the Year and won the organizational pitcher of the year in 2018. So what is the expectation of what Nider can be? Well, talking about what kind of pitcher he is, he's not going to overpower you. I think you already know that. He sits pretty much anywhere from 89 to 92. Uh, He does have the ability to run it up, though, a little bit harder when he wants to. It seems like more of just a comfort thing for him. He's more effective in locating when he's not trying to blow it by you and the the fastball still plays up even when he's sitting at 91 92 he has phenomenal command of a changeup that he can throw in any count and when that changeup is on when you can throw a changeup in any count that's the best pitch in baseball any hitter will tell you that especially when you can disguise it as a fastball it makes that fastball looks so much harder it looks it plays to 95 96 when you can locate that changeup. so those two pitches work off each other really well but knighted has turned into a four pitch pitcher that's something that he focused on in the arizona fall league his slider is a, a pitch that has the potential to be a plus pitch as well given the fact that he's able to locate it so well. It sits in the mid 80s, 85, 86, which is pretty hard considering that his fastball uh, is not much harder at 91, 92. So the slider is a hard pitch. And then the curveball is a work in progress. That's his fourth pitch right now. But he shows an ability to throw that in any count. So if he spins you a curveball in the first pitch of the at-bat and then a fastball, then a changeup, you just don't know what's coming. And that's his best attribute is the fact that he can keep hitters off balance. So that's something that plays into the big leagues. Does Nick Neidert look like a potential ace? No. But when you look at pitchers like Chris Paddock, for example, and I'm sorry if that brings back tough memories, but I love watching that guy pitch. And of course, it kills me that he's not a Marlin, but He throws a little bit harder than Neidert, but he's an example. He sits at around 93, 94 miles per hour, but his fastball plays up so much harder because of how good his changeup is, and he's had great success in that regard. I'm not saying Nick Neidert has the ceiling of Chris Paddock, but he definitely has a very high floor. I would be astonished if Nick Neidert is not a Major League pitcher for, for a long time, to be honest. And... He, he plays like a... I'd say the ceiling would be a three-pitcher. That's if everything goes right. You saw what happened with Zach Gallen when he added a few ticks to his fastball and was able to improve his stuff. And now Gallen looks like he could potentially be a two or three. So Neidert potentially has the opportunity to do that, but let's assume he doesn't add any ticks to his fastball. It's not the end of the world. He has that four-pitch arsenal. He has that elite command. And when you look at pitchers in the past, like historically... Of course, people want pitchers with high velocities, but there's been so many pitchers that locate well and are able to have success in the big leagues, and you pair that with the fact that he's going to be in a rotation with a bunch of high-velocity arms, It's, it's a good balance of power arms with... Guys that have great command, you know, you look at Sixto, you look at Neidert, those are going to be two pitchers in your future rotation, hopefully, that do not walk batters, which is just very refreshing. If Cabrera can hone in on that command, you can see what will be an exciting rotation in the future. And Neidert could be a part of it. He could be a part of it as soon as this year. And if he is, that would be a really good opportunity for him to build up, get better, get some major league experience as the Marlins inch closer to that Window of being competitive. So how does he slide in to the rotation this year if he wants to fit in? Well, you look at the rotation, those surefire locks, assuming they're all healthy, Caleb Smith, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Yams looks like Jordan Yamamoto, looks like Holby sl- slotted in that rotation as well. And then I'm assuming the Marlins are going to trade Jose Urania. I-, I think they really need to at this point because I would much prefer to see anybody else pitch and see what they have rather than just wasting time with Jose Urania. We already know what, what we're gonna get from him, even though he has such a elite fastball. It shows you that. That's the perfect example. He's basically the converse of Nick Nydert. What good is a ninety seven mile per hour fastball if it's flat and you can't locate it? Nidert already strikes out a higher rate of batters than Urania did in his minor league career and major league career. So that's an example of just the fact that It's not all about the surface-level things. There's a lot more to it, and pitchability really does matter. And Neidert has showed that he has pitchability at every single level. It plays up. It played up to single A, it played up to double A, it played up to triple A, and it played up into the Arizona Fall League. There's no reason to think that his pitchability won't continue to play up into the bigs. You might see Alicia Hernandez, maybe Robert Duggar a few times until Nick Neidert is ready. But for me, I think he is the candidate to slot into that last rotation spot if the Marlins eventually open it up. I do want to see what Hernandez can do. I think Duggar, at this point, you kind of know what you're getting. It's a pretty flat fastball, not great stuff. It seems like he gets knocked around the yard a little bit. I'd like to see him maybe in the bullpen, but I'm happy to see him make a few starts to see, or see what he's got. But for now, I want to see Neidert at some point relatively early in the season, of course, it's probably going to be one of those things where they want him to show that he can pitch in AAA for a little bit, and then they'll call him up if the opportunity's there, assuming Uranius traded and Duggar or Hernandez are not pitching to the ability that they could, or Yams isn't. I mean, Jordan Yamamoto has the potential to be very solid, but at the same time, we don't know how good he could be. He looked really strong at times, but he also did get knocked around at times too. So he could end up finding his way out of the rotation if he struggles mightily. I hope he doesn't, but we don't know yet. I think the only surefire walks are... Caleb Smith, Sandy Alcantara, and Pablo Lopez, and that's assuming that they all stay healthy. Both Caleb Smith and Pablo Lopez have had some health issues. So there is a lot of opportunity for Marlins prospects to make it up to the bigs this year. Of course, you don't want that to happen with an injury or guys struggling, but things happen in a 162-game season, and an opportunity will present itself at some point. So I'm looking forward to see what Nider can do now going back to AAA He's healthy. He built off of that Arizona Fall League experience. And I expect him to continue to build off of that, hone in on all four pitches, and he should pitch his way to the big leagues at some point in the middle of the season at the latest. I'm very encouraged by what I saw in the Arizona Fall League. It seemed like all the reports on him from all the prospect outlets were very positive in terms of how he looked in the Fall League, and the command was recaptured. I think that was a fluke in terms of AAA, those 22 walks and 41 innings. That's not something you can expect Because he gives you no reason to think that's something you can expect. And the knee being an excuse is a valid excuse. Because he got it stronger, he got healthy, and he showed you what he can do again in the fall league. So excited to see what Nidert can do. He's going to try and make his way to the bigs this year. It'll be a great opportunity for him to show that he's part of this Marlins future. So on the other side of the break, I will be talking about Cameron Meisner, a really exciting young hitting prospect coming up through the Marlins system. If you've been a listener of this podcast, I'm sure you've heard all the great advertisers working with Locked On to reach sports fans. But you may not know that Locked On Marlins is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Marlins fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach local podcast listeners. Not any podcast listener, a Locked On podcast listener. If your company wants to connect with Miami Marlins fans in a predominantly male audience that is well-educated with disposable income, then let's put your company right here on this Locked On Marlins podcast. Local fans love to support local businesses. Text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com backslash advertising and let us know who you are. We'll get our team to help your team achieve locked on advertising success. Once again, text the word advertising to 33777 or visit lockedonpodcast.com backslash advertising. We look forward to hearing from you. Next up is Cameron Meisner, the second player taken by the Marlins in the last draft after JJ Bouday, and he is an athletic monster as toolsy as it gets. At one point was even considered one of the best bats in the entire draft going into 2019. But the problem with Meisner is he just did not have the track record. He got hurt his sophomore year and only played 34 games and then comes back in his junior year, gets off to a hot start in non-conference play. And that's where people started talking about Meisner as a top 10 pick. And then he struggled pretty badly in SEC play, which caused teams to worry about his hit tool and his ability to hit higher level pitching. SEC play is only 20 games. He hit 211 with two home runs, 16 walks, and 30 strikeouts across those 20 games. On the season, he hit 286, 440 on base percentage, 481 slugging, 10 home runs, 20 stolen bases, 54 walks, and 58 strikeouts. I know that's a lot of numbers, but overall, you look at the full season numbers, they're pretty good. Not great, but good. You look at the SEC numbers, they're kind of bad. But it's a 20 game stretch. Can you judge a player on a 20 game stretch? Like can you doubt the fact that he has a good hit tool or that he can hit high level pitching just because of a 20 game stretch where he struggled? It could it could have just been a badly timed slump. You don't know. Or he could not hit the higher level pitching as well. But he did go to the NECBL, which is one of the better summer collegiate leagues, and tore it up for the Newport goals, where he hit 378, 479, 652 slash line, eight home runs, 14 stolen bases. And the NECBL isn't the Cape Cod league, but there's no slouches there. It's a lot of young, talented players from big schools. You'll see SEC, ACC players just. Teams, coaches will usually send their younger guys to the NECBL, but it's not like he's playing a bunch of slouches, and he showed that he could hit there. He hit well his freshman season. His start to his sophomore season was great before he got hurt, and then he had that bad stretch in his junior year that turned teams off enough to let him slide to the Marlins in the compensation round. So, Are 20 games really going to make or break an opinion for me on a player? Absolutely not. But, you know, when you're drafting so high, 35th overall, you're going to be very nitpicky. And I don't think teams were confident enough with the lack of track record with Meisner. But the fact of the matter is he has all the tools. He has plus speed, plus raw power that he hasn't totally tapped into yet, but apparently puts on a show in batting practice. He's a big athletic body. He can steal bases really well, a really good arm in the outfield. He can play center, he can play left, he can play right. How do you not take a chance on this guy? And it's not even taking a chance at 35. He if he's there, it was a gr- that might have been the best pick in the draft by the Marlins because the Blade pick as it, of course it's a great pick. It's kind of a no-brainer of who you were going to take there, but with Meisner, teams were really turned off by that 20 game stretch in the SEC. They did not see him hit good pitching. And it was enough for them to let him slide. I think that he was worth the risk 100%, and it's worth it for the Marlins to see what he can do. In terms of what he showed them in the abbreviated professional debut in A ball, he was very solid. Over in the Midwest League, hit 276, 380, 373 slash line, and two home runs, eight stolen bases. The trend is he's a very good base dealer everywhere he goes, and that is something that. When you compare that with power, they're talking about, by them, I mean some prospect outlets and some write-ups that I've seen on him, to have the potential, in terms of his tools, to be a 30-30 player. They don't just throw that around. You don't throw that out there. You'd hear that with Monte Harrison. I don't know if you hear it with many other players in the Marlins system. Maybe Jazz Chisholm is a 30-30 guy. That's about it. So for that label, the potential to be a 30-30 player, that is something that shows you how high his ceiling can be. The concern is, like I said, we don't know how well that hit tool plays up. Right now, most outlets are slapping like a 45 hit tool on him, which is not bad by any means, but it seems like a very loose number because they don't know. Nobody really knows. So if he comes out and hits 300 this year or hits well enough to get himself up to the Florida State League where he hits all right there, that hit tool is going to jump. It's not like teams have seen a ton on this kid. And they saw enough of him to draft him out of high school. He was uh, picked by the Royals in the 33rd round. So he definitely has been on radars. It's just he hasn't shown enough. And that's been partly because he's injured, a little bit of streakiness, and you know you mix those two things and you have a volatile player that teams are a little afraid of. The Marlins have made it clear that they love athletic players that have great tools. So that is exactly what Cameron Meisner is. And he can slide in anywhere – in the outfield with a plus arm and plus speed. So that's a really exciting type of prospect that really the only other prospect in my opinion, at this point in the outfield that has those types of tools is Monte Harrison and Meisner doesn't have the strikeout problems as Harrison. Maybe does not not tap into the power that he has yet as much, but there's no reason to think Meisner can't after a full professional season with professional coaches and just gets to be more seasoned in terms of what he can get used to with pro ball, especially getting to the Florida State League eventually where he'll face some higher level pitching. So he could easily climb through the system very quickly if he shows very quickly what he is able to do, or he could be a slower guy to climb up, and that's not a big problem. He is 22 and he is a college bat, but like we said, he missed so many games that it's okay for him to take his time. He's not your typical college bat that's super experienced. So if he takes a few years, that's fine. But I mean, I'm sure the Marlins would love to see him fly through the system, but he is a prime candidate of the type of player you don't want to rush. So a lot of exciting things to watch from him. In terms of what I could see him profiling as with the ceiling, because like we said, volatility, he could be a superstar. He could really struggle. We don't know at this point, but if they're giving him a 30-30, Ceiling, you could see a potential to be a type of Charlie Blackman production player, which would be a huge win for the Marlins in terms of a 30-30 player with a decent hit tool. Because Meisner has given you no reason to think he doesn't have a good hit tool, minus that little stretch where he struggled. In terms of his ability to hit for average, he's always hovered right around the high 200s, to the 300s depending where he was playing and he doesn't strike out a lot so it's not like punch outs and swing and missing is, is is an issue with him he doesn't have a long swing he's quick to the bat or quick to the ball short swing so it's a bit of a different case from monte harrison where monte was this athletic player that just and still is and just struggles with the long swing and sometimes just catching up to pitches or chasing it doesn't seem like that's a problem for meisner he also walks a lot He walked 54 times in that junior season with 58 strikeouts. You'd like to see the strikeouts down a little bit, but it's not a huge alarm with 58 strikeouts in terms of an SEC player batting in the middle of the order and not seeing a ton of pitches to hit. So I'm not concerned about his ability to hit the ball personally. It's just how much can he tap into that power and how productive can he be? Best case scenario, you're looking at Charlie Blackman type of production, but a more realistic scenario, I could see a Lorenzo Cain type of production, a really, really good defensive outfielder with a plus arm. The home runs never quite get there where he's around 15 to 20, but he'll swipe 30 bags for you, and he's a good top to middle of the order type of player. Either of those, if the Marlins get Lorenzo Cain out of him, that would be a huge win. Of course, Charlie Blackman would be the best case scenario, but either way, he has that type of athletic power good fielder, five-tool type of potential that the Marlins covet in prospects. So that is going to be a really, really fun guy to watch this year in terms of how much he can tap into those freak tools and how fast he can climb up the system. If he gets a, makes a push to the Florida State League, it's going to be exciting to see how the Marlins can make room on that Jupiter roster with the amount of talented young outfielders are in this Marlins system. It might force them to push Gerard and Carnacion up to double-A a a little quicker than they want to, but that might not be a bad thing. So we'll see how that works out this year and see how all these outfield prospects where the Marlins all of a sudden have a ton of talented high-ceiling outfield prospects in the system. So that is Cameron Meisner. We're going to watch him keep close tabs this year. Could be a phenomenal season ahead of this young left-handed hitter out of Missouri. Hope you enjoyed this prospect preview. It will continue now as we're inside the top 10. Please be sure to give me feedback on Twitter, what you want to hear about certain prospects outside of the list. Please rate, subscribe, keep me in the loop in terms of what you guys want, and I will do my best to add it into the show. Hope you have a great weekend and I will talk to you all on Monday.